Thank you, Pastor Ross. Thank you all for coming out on such a cold night. And uh, you can take your seats. That was a great word, Matt. Thank you. Really, uh, really enjoyed your illustration there. Spoke to me, so uh, get ready to be generous, eh? Okay, there we go. Look at that. We're going to be continuing the theme tonight on harvest. And uh, tonight I want to have a look at the harvester's toolkit. So uh, one person's excited about that. (laughs) We're going to have a look at the harvester's toolkit. Now each of us have a part to play in the mission of the church. And the mission, okay, is not just seeking and saving the lost. Okay, the mission of the church actually extends beyond that. It's more than that. It incorporates that, but it is more than that. And we'll see that later as we look through the scriptures together. God has equipped each and every one of us uniquely for this mission, for the mission of the church. And as we begin to engage in God's mission to redeem the world, uh, it's not very long before we find out that we've got an enemy. <laughs> you know, as, uh, as we try to, to reach out to those uh, who are lost, those outside the church, maybe those who have fallen away. You know, we come against opposition. We find that people aren't always willing to hear the message that we have to give, that people aren't always willing to receive the message of the gospel. But also, you know, as we, uh, as believers, you know, once we first come into the kingdom, you know, again, we, we sort of become really sort of wrapped up in this whole salvation thing. You know, and we're just sort of so excited about the new birth inside of us. And and it's like the world, you know, suddenly, you know, we sing that song, don't we? About uh, uh, we're not seen in black and white anymore. We're seen in color. And it's almost like that. You know, we get so sort of switched on by God inside that suddenly, wow, you know, you hear the birds tweeting that you never heard them before. And you see the flowers growing that you never saw before. But again, it's not very long before we find out that we've got an enemy. Because as we go on that journey, you know, although the light of Christ has come into our hearts and is shining away in there, we also find that there are some little dark corners that need sweeping out. And we find there's opposition. And sometimes it's not opposition from the enemy. Sometimes we find that opposition actually is within ourselves. And so we find out that Paul was right, the Apostle Paul, when he said that the spirit wars against the flesh. Uh, And so... This mission that God has us on equips us for everything that we need to actually fulfill that mission, uh, and we're going to have a look at that in a minute. So the purpose of tonight's talk is really just an introduction, just an introduction. I'm not going to take as long as I did last time I preached. You'll be glad to know you will be getting home tonight, um, unless you want me to carry on. But anyway, so it's going to be an introduction to this toolkit. And uh, I want to bring some clarity around understanding spiritual authority and the power that we have as believers and how that demonstrates the rule of Christ to win the lost. So that's what we're going to be having a look at. Today. And this, is, like I said, is just an introduction because this is a two-part message. Because um, I was told, if you're going to go on for a long time, split it in two. <laughs> so I'm not going to shoot both barrels at you tonight. <clears throat> So it is a two-part message. This really is an introduction just to the general overall. 
Uh, in about a month's time, I'm preaching again in the morning, and I'm going to go in depth into spiritual authority. A really important subject for us to have a look at because it's the door that opens the doorway to power. And, uh, and it's necessary, if we want to flow in, in Holy Ghost power, that we come under proper authority. Because it is down authority lines that the Spirit moves. As Matt was talking about rivers, the Spirit moves along a riverbed. If you're not positioned in the river, the river's not going to flow through you. And that's really what spiritual authority is about. Well, spiritual authority is about placing yourself in the river. And if you're not in the river, don't expect that power to flow through you. So I'm going to speak about that next time. All right? Tonight we're going to focus more on power and skill. All right, power and skill. And we're going to have a look, first of all, at the Great Commission. Great Commission, Matthew 28, is familiar with most of us. I'm sure that we can all sort of uh, really give an outline of, of what that might be. Just to give you a bit of a context for the Great Commission, is it was, uh, it was Jesus' last words that he said to his disciples just before he ascended into heaven. Okay, so here we have, we've had his death, we've had his resurrection. He's been with the disciples now uh, and appeared to them over time. And now he's just about to ascend and go up. And these are his last words to his church. The Great Commission. Matthew twenty-eight, eighteen to 20. Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands that I have given you, and be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Now, there are several things that I want to point out from this passage as an introductory passage. First of all, Jesus was given authority. He says, I've been given authority. Who gave him that authority? Father God. So Jesus has already positioned himself to receive delegated authority. That authority, that word authority, there you go, there's some nice squiggly words up there for you. For any of you those who actually know how to read Koine Greek, there you go. It's a, it's a Greek word called exousia. Exousia. Now, I'm going to be, uh, is it okay if we do a bit of a Bible study tonight? Yeah? I mean, I, I, I teach in the Bible college here. So, uh, how many of you have bought your notebooks and pens? Uh, Tori, you've bought your notebook and pen, haven't you? I know Tori has because I told her she needed to bring it. So, uh, we're actually, I'm going to show you, I'm going to, we're, going to, we're going to look through some passages of Scripture and we're actually going to be uh, using some of the tools that you might use as a Bible college student. Okay, so we're going to do a little bit of higher Bible interpretation tonight. Is that okay? Awesome. All right, so we've got this word, exousia, which is authority. Authority is positional power. All right, positional power. It's the power that you have which is given to you because you have authority or you have a position given to you. And along with that position, maybe, you know, uh, for example, King David in the Old Testament, right? He was anointed to be king. King is a position. Along with the position comes power. And this word, the Greek word here, is exousia. God gave Jesus authority, exousia, a position. And along with that position comes power. 
Now it's translated, that word exousia is translated in the New Testament in lots of different kinds of ways. It's often translated as authority as it is here. Rule, it means the right to rule or to govern. Control, it's also translated as power, also translated as ability. Okay, so it has all those shades of meaning, but it's related to the position that a person holds. Now, Jesus has authority to use the power of the Holy Spirit to bring about God's will. That comes with his position. Able to ask the Holy Spirit to go and do something. And we see that lots and lots of places in the New Testament, in the Gospels particularly, where we see Jesus acts. He's using the power with delegated authority, which has been given to him to do miraculous signs and wonders. Jesus delegates some of this authority and his power to his disciples at the Great Commission. He gives them the power and the authority to make disciples and baptize them. Now, that doesn't just mean to baptize in water, okay? As we as Pentecostals would also understand that to mean the baptism of the Spirit. So we baptize in water for the forgiveness of sins, but we also baptize people in the Holy Spirit. And to be baptized in the Spirit is a baptism of power. It's not a baptism of forgiveness for sins, it's a baptism of power. So when we're baptized into the Spirit, we receive that power. And Jesus gave the authority to the church to do that, to baptize people and make disciples. So again, we see a stream of authority. We see from God the Father to Jesus, and Jesus then delegates to the church, to you and I as individuals. If we have a look at Acts 1.8, this is Luke's version of the Great Commission. Again, this is just before Jesus goes up, and in Acts 1.8, Jesus says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem and throughout Judea, Samaria, and unto the ends of the earth. So that's Luke's version of the Great Commission. Now that word for power is a different word to the word authority. And that is, we all know what that one is because we talk about it often. It's called dunamis. Now, it's written dynamis. That's just a transliteration. It's pronounced dunamis. Now, this word is used for the outworking or the manifestation of power. So it's not the power itself. It's the manifestation of that power. And again, it's also translated in various parts of the New Testament as being miraculous power strength and again ability we saw that exousia also means ability this also means ability and it's been translated in scripture to mean that so let's have a look at a passage in scripture where uh, it's being used both in the same verse so we go to Luke 10 19 Tori make sure that you're writing that one down in your notebook Luke 10 and verse 19 I have given you authority exousia to tread on serpents and scorpions and authority, exousia, over all the power, dunamis, of the enemy. Nothing may harm you or hurt you at all. So what we see here in this passage is that the disciples were given authority over the outworking of the power of the enemy. They were given a position which had a greater power 
than the outworking of the power of the enemy. Now, what are the sort of things that we see the enemy outworking his power in? We see it in sin. We see it in sickness. We see it in a multitude of different ways. We see the expressions or the manifestation of the enemy's power. The position that you have as a believer is that you have authority over the power of the enemy because that's been given to you. It's been delegated to you. So, both. Yeah, you can clap. (laughs) So, both exousia and dunamis share a sense of ability. There is an ability that goes along with it. And part of the Great Commission is to teach the disciples to obey the commands of Jesus. This is training. And with training, we hone ability. All right? So when we get trained up, all right, so an athlete, all right, will train their raw power. They've got power in their muscles. They have a raw ability within themselves, either to run or to climb or to do whatever it is that they do. They have a raw ability. But that ability becomes Olympic or elite because they diligently train their power. And you've been given power. We also need to train that power. We need to train it. So we need three things, or three things in our toolkit. Number one is authority. The second is power. The third is skill. You need skill. Now, I'm going to give you an illustration. As we were praising and worshipping earlier on, the Lord gave me a picture of a field gun. You've seen one of those army field guns? Uh, As a kid, I used to do models, you know, little plastic models and things like that, and build tanks and planes and stuff like that. And, uh, and so this, I used mostly from World War II, so I'm sort of in my mind, I'm picturing this World War II field gun, all right? So a couple of big wheels, a nice big cannon sticking out the front with a shield at the front, and, there's, uh, and along the back of this field gun, there are, there are two arms that extend out the back, and on the back of these, um, these arms, stabilizers, there are spades, all right? Big flat shovels, and those shovels dig into the ground, And the reason they dig into the ground is when they fire that field gun, the recoil is so powerful that the whole gun actually recoils and jumps up on the back. So it actually lifts off the ground as it fires. And those spades anchor that field gun into the ground. You need skill. If you're to hit the enemy with a field gun, you need skill. That gun is power. Very, very powerful. Has a lot of destructive power. But without skill, it's not going to hit anything. And unless you anchor that field gun into the ground, the recoil from that gun is going to shoot that thing backwards and start killing your own men. And that's something that you don't want. And then you have to get the gun and reposition it and get it all lined up. And you just wasted time because the enemy's advancing. So you need not only power, but you need skill. So if you're in the army, you have authority. You've been given a position, all right, to... to, to go to war you've been given the position you've got positional authority you've been given power in the form of a gun and you've been trained your hands have been trained for battle and you know how to use the equipment that you've been given authority 
power and skill. Now, if we take that, you know, in biblical terms, we've been given authority. Christ has delegated authority to us to go and do the work of the mission, the mission of the church. We've also been given the power, the Holy Spirit. But we also need to make sure that we have training, that we take that raw power and we train us up so that we've got the skill to be able to use it. It's no good just giving raw power to somebody. They'll blow themselves up or somebody else up. They shouldn't, all right? They need skill. But not only that, and this is where that prophetic picture came in, is those two spades on the back of those arms that come out the back of the field gun are grounded into the Word of God. Because if you're not grounded in the Word of God, if you don't know how to rightly use the Word of God, then your cannon is going to recoil and you're going to do yourself and other people harm. You need to make sure that you know how to rightly divide the Word of Truth and how to use it correctly and use it properly because the power comes through the correct execution of the word, to the skill that you've been trained in. That is a prophetic word. Some people get caught up with this idea that uh, all we need is the power. All we need is the Holy Spirit. All we need to do is just go out and heal people and, and, and just throw power around like it's, you know, smarties or sweeties or lollies. That isn't, that isn't the case. These are powerful weapons. Powerful weapons for undoing the strongholds of darkness. And you need skill in order to be able to operate those things correctly. They're not lollies. They're not there. The power hasn't been given to you just to get some Holy Ghost goosebumps just so that you can go down and soak in it. It's not been given to you for that. Those things are good and they are necessary, but they aren't the end. They aren't the end. We need to be trained in it as well. Okay, let's move on to skill. Skill can be broken down into two areas, ability and wisdom. Ability, authority and power don't give you ability. You can have a position, you can have the power, but that doesn't necessarily mean you've got the skill to use either of them. We have to learn that and we grow in that. Okay, uh, In the word, um, you know, it says, don't be too hasty to lay hands on people. And put them into positions of authority. Don't be too hasty. Why? Because they haven't been tried. They haven't been tested. They haven't been proved. And they haven't got the requisite skill to use the position and the authority that they have. Or that you're about to give them or delegate to them. So we need to be able to have skill. Ability takes training. This is discipleship. It's discipleship. And as I've already said, we hone our skill through training and discipleship. What's one of the fruits of the Holy Spirit? Self-control. What on earth do we need that for? Because you need self-control if you live a disciplined life, if you're to be a disciple. Because it's in that area of discipline and honing the skills that God has given you, honing, learning how to use the power that God has given you, that you grow So you need that fruit of the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit not only gives you power, he also gives you the means to hone it by through the fruits of the Spirit. That's good news. The other part is wisdom. Definition of wisdom is its skill in living. That's a simple definition of what wisdom is. Skill in living. 
you know what to do, when to do it, and what to use to get it accomplished. That is wisdom, the outworking of wisdom. It is the application of knowledge. Okay, You can have knowledge, but if you don't know how to use it, if you're not skillful in the use of that knowledge, it's not going to do you an awful lot of good. Uh, if you have financial wisdom, it means that you have skill in knowing how to handle finances. Again, this is one of the skills that we teach you in the Cap Money course. All right, So that you learn financial wisdom. You learn to harness the power that God has given you. And money is power. Make no bones about it. Money is power. Money does actually make the world go around. All right? And that's why money is important to the kingdom. Because we use it as wise stewards, knowing how to use finances. But we don't do it according to the rules that the world has. We use it according to the rules of the kingdom, and they're very different. The rules of the kingdom finance are very different to worldly finance, and we won't go into that one right now. All right? Otherwise, we will be here till tomorrow morning. Okay, so um, wisdom is needed. You need wisdom to learn from experience. So it's not all just about being taught something or being trained in something by somebody else because training is part of that impartation. Okay, we impart skills that we've already got. We impart those by training to other people. But what happens if you're in a situation where nobody's around who can train you? You need wisdom which is given by God so that you can learn from your experience. All right? That is the process of wisdom. So as you learn things and you reflect upon things, the Holy Spirit gives you revelation so you know how to use it properly. And you learn that way. That's how we all learn. We learn that as kids, as babies growing up, we learn from experience. Mostly what not to do. Okay. So David was anointed by God. He had authority as a king over Israel and authority to fight God's battles. In Psalm 18, he declares that God was the one who gave him that skill. He trains my hands for battle. He strengthens my arm to draw a bow of bronze. Okay, so here we have uh, a soldier, somebody who's an authority. Okay, he's got the authority. He's a king. All right, he's been anointed, but it is God that trains him for battle and gives him the power physically to bend the strongest bow, a metal bow. So here we see authority, power, and skill. And God is able to train you and give you the requisite skill to be able to use your authority, power in the right way for the right occasion. So let's have a look at the use of authority, power, and skill in the harvest. And uh, we're going to be having a look at Luke 8, verse 1, right the way through to 9, verse 6. We're not going to read all of it out because it's a long passage. I'm just going to pull out highlights. Okay? So this is your, get out your notebook and pen. This is the Bible stuff coming again. Okay, I'm going to give you a theological term. All right, this passage from Luke 8, 1 through to Luke 9, 6 is what the Bible or what theologians or Bible scholars call an inclusio. All right, write that down, Tory. All right, an inclusio. <laughs> right. Now, what is an inclusio and why is it important to know what that is? 
It's a theological term that is an audible bracket. All right, remember the, the early church, they didn't read and they didn't write. They, weren't, they didn't have that skill like we do, or most of us do. All right, uh, they didn't have that. Instead, they sat down and they listened to the letters, to the gospels. When Paul wrote, they'd all sit down in church and they would be read out to them and they would listen. And because they were listening culture and not a reading-writing culture, there was lots of cues or audible cues that they could hear that told them things about the passage. All right? It gave them a bit of a framework for how to interpret what was being said. And so it's important when we come to read the Bible now that we figure out what these are because they help us to interpret the passage. They help us to interpret what the Scripture is saying. So they're like brackets, So as we read through the gospel accounts or read through Paul's letters, we come across these quite frequently, all right? And what happens is there is a, um, there's a, there will be a similar verse or a similar passage or or it's, you know, uh, a saying or a phrase at the beginning of Inclusio and you'll hear it repeated again at the end. So as you're listening to it, you hear the start and you hear the end. As we read it, We just put brackets around things, okay? They couldn't do that, so it's a phrase or a saying. And in this case, right, it's a similar chunk of Scripture. Well, I got that. So if you want to write it down, that's how you write it. Okay. Luke 8.1. Soon afterwards, Jesus began a tour of the nearby towns and villages, preaching and announcing the good news of the kingdom of God. He took his 12 disciples with him, along with some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Among them were Mary Magdalene, from whom he had cast out seven demons, Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's business manager, Susanna, and many others who were contributing from their own resources to support support Jesus and his disciples. So this is the beginning of an inclusio. Now, this particular, you know, it's only, it's only you know, uh, a couple of verses long. And what it does is it also acts as a, a bit of an introduction, telling us what we're going to be hearing until we hear it again. So it acts as, as an introduction. And, and so we should be able to read through this short passage and see what's coming next. So it alerts the hearer as to how we're going to interpret. So what do we see? Jesus goes from town to town preaching the gospel. We see that his disciples, that he's with his disciples and supporters, so they go along with him. We see Jesus rescuing people from the power of the enemy. And so this inclusio sets up our reading, um, sets up our reading strategy. So we can see for proclaiming the gospel through power evangelism, because that's what Jesus is doing. All right? So we can read this and we can say, okay, then God, what's our strategy? What's our strategy for evangelism? And here Jesus is showing, or Luke is describing about how we go about doing power evangelism. All right? I told you this was connected to the harvest. All right? So this is the power that you've been given. All right? So we're going to learn how to use that power. We're going to learn that by reading through these passages here. Get ready with your notebook and pen. Here comes another one. What follow after this passage are six pericopes, all right? 
six pericopes. It's red pericope, but it's actually pronounced pericope. All right, six pericopes. A pericope is a set of verses or a parable that form one unit of thought. So they, they're a self-contained unit. All right? It has its own beginning, its own middle, its own end, and its own point. All right? So that's its own little, little unit of thought. Okay? Often they're parables. They can be read on their own, but when they're found in an inclusio, which these ones are, they complement one another and they reveal another facet of the overall theme that the Holy Spirit is trying to communicate. So rather than taking these all individually and we come up with our own individual interpretations as to what they mean, because they're inside these brackets, we need to read them together and overall they form a reading strategy so we can understand the broad communication that the Holy Spirit was trying to communicate through the author. All right? Are your head done in yet? We understand that. Awesome. All right. So that's what you're going to be doing at Bible College when you sign up. All right? You're going to be learning about these kind of things. You learn how to interpret Scripture because learning how to interpret Scripture is a skill. And we have to learn how to do that. It doesn't just all get downloaded in Revelation. It is skill that is imparted and skill that can be learned. So you can learn these things. So let's have a look at, uh, at these pericopes. Each pericope is dense with its own layers of meaning. All right? But they can be taken individually. And so what we're going to do is we're going to very quickly trace through what these six pericopes talk about and we'll see that they match up with the introduction that we've just read. So the first thing that we have is the parable of the sower. All right? We have Matthew, uh, sorry, Luke's parable of the sower. This is a parable of the kingdom. And he talks particularly about what happens when the word of God is preached and how it affects people's hearts. In other words, it affects how people enter into the kingdom and whether they enter into the kingdom or not according to how they receive the word as it is given to them. So again, we see Jesus at the beginning, remember? He went from town to town, from village to village, preaching the word of God in the kingdom of heaven. This is what he was doing. So we see the parable of the sower. The next pericope is the parable of the lamp. Another parable of the kingdom, but this time... How we hear the words of Jesus brings light into a person's heart and reveals false motives. Okay, so one is the the word being spread abroad. The second one, the parable of the lamp, is how that shines light on the inside of us and how we respond. Our personal response to the word of God. The next section or unit or pericope that we read about is the true family of Jesus. Now, this is only very short, but nonetheless, again, it's written because it has a a use and a meaning within the inclusio. So it's important that even though it's a couple of verses long, we take note of it and find out why was the Holy Spirit wanting to communicate this. And the reason why the Holy Spirit wanted to communicate who the true family of Jesus was in the story, Jesus' mother and his brothers go to Jesus and they try to draw him away. 
they try to say, come and, come and spend some family time with us, Jesus. All right? And Jesus' response was, who are my family? My brothers and my sisters, the ones who obey the word of God, they are my family. So he talks about the true family of God. So the people of God, in this, we can see that the people of God are no longer ethnic people, those who are born of blood or have nationality ties or anything else like that. So just because you're born a Jew doesn't make you part of the family of God anymore because Jesus was about to overturn all of that. It's not about your ethnicity anymore or your natural blood ties anymore. In fact, the family of God are those who hear and obey the word of God. That is who defines the true family of God. These are all things that Jesus would have preached as he went from town to town. The next unit we see is Jesus calms the storm. Now this is a, an interesting one. In verse 25, the disciples were terrified and amazed. Who is this man? They asked each other. Who he gives a command and even the wind and the waves obey him. Jesus, as you remember, goes out in the boat. As a storm blows up, disciples get scared. Jesus tells the wind and the waves to calm down, and they do. And the disciples who've been with him all this time and seen some of the other miracles are now really, really shocked because now they're actually they're not scared of the wind and the waves anymore. Now they're actually scared of Jesus. All right? And they say, who is this man? And what we see in, in the Jesus comes the storm is we see Jesus moving in his positional power. We see him moving in the authority that the God has given to him. And in doing so, he reveals something about his nature. And the revelation of that nature is, I am God. Because only God can command creation to obey him. And when Jesus tells the wind and the waves to calm down, that says, ding, 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 ding. This must be God in the boat. And so Jesus begins to reveal who he is, reveals something about his nature through this encounter. And it's an encounter with his authority, and with that authority comes power over creation. Then we move on as he gets off the boat at the other side, and we see the healing of the demoniac. In verse 28, the demons declare Jesus to be the Son of God. So if the disciples hadn't got it by seeing the wind and waves being come down, the demons proclaim it for them. So in this narrative, we see Jesus being confronted by an entire demonic army. Then they come before Jesus, right, and, he, and he says, what's your name? He didn't say, oh, we're a lot. Or we're quite a few. Or in fact, you know what? We're a multitude of demons. He said, no, we're a legion. Legion is a military term. And so what happens is these demons, this demonic army, fronts up to Jesus and expects there to be a power encounter. Here we have the whole demonic army, a legion of demons in this one man. And here's one man, Jesus, right, who's, who, who stands there. And really, it's actually quite disappointing because there is no power encounter. Jesus just says, come out. Jesus didn't stand there, get his boxing gloves on and start powering and biffing at an army of demons. He just says, 
come out. And you know what? They obey. Why? Because Jesus is the King of Kings and he's the Lord of Lords and he has power over the demonic armies of hell. There was no power encounter. In fact, they said, can we go into the pigs? And Jesus said, yep. He didn't force them there. They ran and then drove them into the sea. So there wasn't a power encounter. This was an authority encounter. Jesus was not phased by a demonic army. Now, with, um, with the healing of the demoniac, why did Jesus allow them to go into the pigs? Is a question I hear often. And, uh, and it's actually a reference back to Isaiah 65. Because what it is, is through this, Jesus is making a judgment on sin. And what we read about in Isaiah 65 and verse 4 we read Isaiah talking about the, 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 the children of Israel at a time and how God was going to judge them for their sin. It says, At night they go out among the graves, worshipping the dead. They eat the flesh of pigs and make stews with other forbidden foods. And so Isaiah is prophesying about God's judgment coming upon the sinfulness of Israel. And so when Jesus goes over the, the water, he comes across a demoniac. Where was he? Living amongst the graves. What was on the hillside roaming around? Pigs. So here Jesus is making a deliberate statement and fulfilling the judgment against sin that was there in Isaiah. But what do we find? See, in Isaiah we find that God is going to wipe out the Israelites. What do we see Jesus do? Jesus' judgment of sin is not wiping out people. It is separating sin from people. That is the judgment that Jesus brings. And that's also the judgment that we're called to bring. Not that we condemn people. Not that we judge people for where they've been and what they're doing. But the judgment that we carry on sin is that we separate people from their sin. If we read on further in Isaiah 65 and verse 8, it says, But I will not destroy them all, says the Lord, for just as good grapes are found among a cluster of bad ones, and someone will say, Don't throw them all away. Some of those grapes are good, so I will not destroy all of Israel, for I still have true servants there. Jesus went over to Decapolis. The Decapolis was a place which was, uh, was Greek and by that time Roman in culture. And the Sumerians, or the Samaritans, right, who were part of Israel, had mixed with them and they were living like heathens. But they were still Jews. And Jesus crossed over so that he could take one good grape out of a bad bunch and set that one free. Because Jesus saw that there was good fruit still in there. Now, at the time, he was a bad egg. But when Jesus removed the sin from him, he became good fruit. So rather than destroy the lot, doomsayer, apocalyptic judgment coming upon the nations, Jesus says, no, my judgment is to judge the sin and separate the person from the sin because they're good fruit. That's why I love the Transformations Program. That's why I love Tina when she gets up and she speaks because she says every time she gets up that there's good in you people, there's gold in you, and that's what they're trying to do is bring that out of you, separate you from your sin. Why? Because she sees what's inside of every single one of you. And that's why I love you and I love the program and I love Tina's heart 
because Tina's got the heart of Jesus when it comes to this. She will go where the graves are and bring fruit out. Thank you, Jesus. So moving on from there, how am I doing for time? (laughs) The healing of the woman and the raising of Jairus' daughter. Now, this one is interesting because this is not an authority encounter. This really is a pure power encounter because Jesus didn't even know that the, the woman with the issue of blood was coming to see him. He had no idea. He was just going about his business on his way to raise Jairus' daughter from the dead. And what happens now, as we hear in the narrative, is that she touches him, and the next thing Jesus is aware of is that power comes out from him. Power leaves him. Not authority. Power. So Jesus knows that raw power has just left him. And what drew down the power? Faith. Faith drew down the power. Not authority, not a declaration, but a woman's simple faith drew power from Jesus. And faith will do that today. Faith will do that for you. Faith will do that for your sickness. Faith will do that for your circumstance. You can draw on the power of the Holy Spirit, but you need faith to do it. It will draw it. It'll draw it. Faith is irresistible to the power of God, irresistible to the Holy Spirit. That word, power went out from him, is our old word dunamis, the outworking, the manifestation of power. When Jesus got to Jairus' daughter, first thing he said was, don't be afraid, just have faith and she will be healed. So again, Jesus is now talking about how skill, how do you get the power to work? Faith. He's teaching Jesus is teaching in the moment. He's turned to the woman and says, your faith has made you well. Don't fear, have faith and your daughter will be raised. He's teaching, giving skill. We need to learn how to use faith. So we see here authority, we see power, we see skill within this pericope. Now let's come to the end, our bracket close. Our bracket close for, not the close of my talk. But the bracket close of this inclusio. All right, Luke 9, 1 to 6. One day, Jesus, uh, one day Jesus called together the 12 disciples. Now listen, listen for the similarities. Remember of the opening passage where Jesus goes around from town to town. One day Jesus called together the 12 disciples and he gave them power and authority to cast out demons and heal all diseases. Then he sent them out to tell everyone about the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. Right? Sounds familiar, doesn't it? That's what we saw Jesus doing earlier. Take nothing for your journey, he instructed them. Don't take a walking stick, a traveler's bag, food, money, or even a change of clothes. Wherever you go, stay in the house until you leave town. And if a town refuses to welcome you, you shall take the dust from your. You shall shake the dust from your feet as you leave to show that you have abandoned those people to their fate. That's judgment. So they began their circuit of the villages, preaching the good news and healing the sick. So this is the end because it's similar to the beginning. So we know that this is our inclusio. 
So what we see here, what do we see Jesus doing? He is training his disciples. He's giving them skill. He's training and developing how to use the power, how to use their authority. He is giving them instruction. Where were they when Jesus was going through the towns doing all this stuff? They were with Jesus. They were observing. And now he's giving them an exercise and saying, now you go and do the same. Except this time I'm not going to be with you. This time you're going out and you're going to have your own faith to perform and work and to save the lost. So he gave them authority and gave them power. Now remember, this is before Pentecost. This is before the indwelling of the Spirit. So Jesus took his authority, took his power and put it on them, delegated it to them. That was authority and power to cast out demons and heal the sick. They went out and preached the gospel, just like Jesus did. In the beginning of the Inclusio, we see that their women were supporting the ministry out of their own funds. Now, we see Jesus building their faith by sending them out with no provision. So faith's a really important part of this mission of the church. It's a really important part of you engaging in authority and power. Because you need to know how to use faith. You need to know how to activate your faith. You need to know where to get your faith from. Okay? Really important. So Jesus didn't send them out with a bunch of women to cook for them and wash their clothes and darn their socks and pay for all their coffees. All right? They stayed with Jesus to pay for his coffee while he sent them out to find money for their own. All right? No, Jesus sent them out without that provision to test their faith. Because if you go out without any provision, you better have faith. You really better have faith, all right? So Jesus was drawing that out of them so that they could learn the right way of doing things, okay? Because it's not. This ministry that we've been given from the church isn't based on people giving money. It isn't based on having cash or having a large bank account to do the work of the ministry, the work of the ministry God provides for, all right? Nevertheless... The women supported Jesus and the disciples out of their own funds, out of their own bank accounts. So that provides us a pattern. But, it, you know, but we should never say, oh, I can't do this because I don't have money. Never. Because the power isn't reliant on money, it's reliant on faith. Right? So we need faith. We need faith. All right. There was also a warning not to reject the gospel. And to keep the focus on what was important. All right? That is when they shook the dust off their feet. That was a judgment. We saw Jesus bringing judgment on sin with a demoniac. And he said, look, you also need to do the same. But remember, that, sin, that judgment is a judgment against sin. We need to keep focused on the goal. They weren't to go to a place and stay there if there was no fruit being born. You need to make sure that if there's fruit being born, stay there. Keep working there because the Holy Spirit's doing something. But if you're working, 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 and it's not bearing fruit, move on. Move on because the harvest is more important than doing work. All right? It is the results of the harvest that are important, not doing the work of the harvest. Okay? There's plenty enough work to be done when the harvest is ready. All right? Spend your energies in doing that, which is why when we give, we want to give into fruitful ministries. We don't want to give into ministries that aren't producing anything. 
right? Which is why when we give money to this church, we know that it goes to good mission fields. We support ministries which are producing fruit. So we give to those, all right? And that should be also the pattern of our lives as well, is that we should labor in fields that produce fruit. If they're not, move on. Move on. Summary. I am at the end. There we go. So what we just read in this includes is a snapshot of Jesus' ministry. And this ministry is delegated authority and power to the church to continue to preach the word, to reveal who Jesus is. Remember, Jesus did that. He revealed his divinity. He revealed that he was God. We need to do that. We not only preach the word, but we need to reveal who Jesus is to people. People have got some funny ideas as to who Christ is. All right? There's only one Christ, that's Jesus. We need to reveal him. We need to establish fellowships, congregations and churches, because that's what Jesus did. The true people of God are those who obey. Those are the true family. So where Jesus went, he established true family. In New Testament terms, that's established congregations, established churches, plant churches, see new congregations being built. That's part of the mission of the church, to continually be doing that. To deliver the captives, heal the sick, to bring the dead to life, that is also salvation. You know, when somebody gets saved, they get brought from dead to life. They become born again. It's not only just seeing physical raising from the dead, but we see that most often in people spiritually being made alive. And this is all done in the power of the Spirit. This is the church at work. This is what the church does. This is what you're going to see. This is the fruit of a church that's working well. You'll see all these things in evidence. There are no empty portfolios in the kingdom. What do I mean by that? It means that you don't just get saved and God forgot to give you something to do. Every single person has a ministry. Every single person needs to be engaged in the mission of the church, whatever that is. And we've seen already, this is very, very broad. It isn't just proclaiming salvation. All right? It is turning people, harvest, into harvesters. So we'll see people going out and reaping and bringing it in. We'll see that, that, that fruit, that harvest come in. We'll see them being discipled and turned around and sent out again. We'll see people's lives being changed and transformed. That's all part of the mission of the church. All part of it. So whatever, whatever God has given to you as a ministry, you need to do it well. Do it diligently. Give your attention to skill. Learn with wisdom how to do that because there are no empty portfolios in the kingdom. Everybody's got a mission. Everybody has a ministry. Everybody has a plan and a purpose. And God will reveal that to you and we will help train you in that. So power should never be a problem. Never blame the fact that you don't have enough power because the power is there. Most often... It isn't power which is an issue. It's authority which is an issue. You aren't correct in a c- correct place of authority. And this is why the power doesn't work. Because you haven't been permissioned to fire the gun. All right? Or you don't have the skill to do it in a safe manner. All right? So power is never an issue. So if somebody gets prayed for and you don't get healed, power isn't the issue. It's not that God doesn't love you. 
It's not that, that the Holy Spirit just kind of fizzled out at that point and needs to sort of regenerate some of that power so he can get it to you. So there's no point in praying, 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 praying really, really hard, waiting for more and more power, because power is not an issue. The issue is more likely to be authority or skill. And that's where we probably need to focus more of our attention, and I'll be talking more about that next month. Without, when we have authority and power, without skill, it can be hit and miss. We sometimes we'll hit the target, sometimes we won't. So we need to hone that and make sure it's right. So, uh, worship team, if you want to come back. There we go, the Harvester's Toolkit. So what are the three things that you need inside your toolkit? Sorry, I should have asked the, uh, the band up earlier. Yeah, we're over time again. Power, authority, and skill. Those three things. So band, if you just want to lead us in some worship, and we'll, we'll then have a bit of an altar call. Uh, I think if you just want to, if you want God, you want the Holy Spirit to train you, to train your hands, to bend a bow of bronze, then I'm going to open up the altar here for people to come and we can just lay hands on you, we can impart to you, we can pray, but, but most importantly, you come before God with faith because that is what's going to draw the anointing more than anything else. All right? It's not the power of my prayer or Ross's prayer, or Pete's prayer, or anyone else's prayer. It is your faith engaging with God, and that will draw the power down. So, band. Stay tuned for another exciting podcast brought to you by Bayside Christian Church.